scripture memory verse tonight, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped, ready for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Anybody else? Oh, go ahead. Ladies first. Uh, now I know I added the uh, word ready, and it says thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the connotation is is ready or prepared for, and we'll get to that when we uh, go through the scripture here. Thoroughly furnished. Thoroughly furnished is the King James, and that's what it is. God is an equipper. God is thoroughly furnishing us with everything we need when we surrender. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Anybody else? Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Second Corinthians, or Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Good job. Anybody else? Um, all that I don't know. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.16.17 for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may, com may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Timothy 3, 16, 17. Good job. Anybody else? Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in righteousness, huh. that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Good job. Thank you. Anybody else? Well, let's look at this a little bit. You know, I, I want you to understand that this, this thought really doesn't start here. In fact, Scripture is the beginning and the end of the thought. Um, but chapter 3 starts with this, and let's just look at it. I'm going to go through it a little bit. Um, The man of God, it actually starts in 2.24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach. And that's, that's really what the word of God is for, is that we teach. And then it's actually couched in between two teachings. When you go to 4.2, it tells you to, to uh, 
preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So what what are we teaching? What are we giving instruction for? What what what, what I mean, what do we teach them? Hey, don't put mustard on it, it won't help a burn. What do we teach them? Do we teach them from the schools of this world? Do we teach them what the, 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 the Encyclopedia Britannica or what Wikipedia says on or what do we what do we teach people? Well, we know that we teach them all scripture. You know, when Paul sat down with the Ephesian elders when he was going to leave them, he said, I have not failed to give you the full counsel of God. All Scripture, everything about the Word of God, about what God has done, what God is doing, and what He's going to do. This is the instruction here that's contained in 66 books by 40 authors that it was written down, but it was all inspired by God. And literally in the Greek, that means God breathed. So it was men that had surrendered to God, that was doing the will of God, and the Spirit of God through them inspired them to write down these words from the heart of God, from the mouth of God. And that's a, a, the amazing thing is that God is so capable, He can use everything about you to do His will. Even when you mess up, you become an example. You become, you become an example that all men are sinners. All men mess up. All men have clay feet. But we want to teach men and women the word of God. Why? Because it's all inspired by God. It's all God. This is everything about the word of God. Jesus became the living word of God. And the Bible tells us that the word of God, God sent the word to heal the land. How do we get healed? What do we need to be healed from? Our sin nature. Right? So what does it tell us? That all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God might be complete or perfect, King James, thoroughly equipped, ready for every good work. Restored back to where we were before sin. That's what the word of God is doing. Jesus' blood restores us positionally. And then practically, as we learn the word of God, as little children, we're instructed, we're educated, we're chastised, and we're brought back to the mindset of the obedience of the word of God. Because how do we know? We don't teach people uh, about the colleges and universities to get them to obey God. We don't teach them with earthly wisdom to get them to obey God or to be like God. We want to give them this word that, that gives the, the, the perfect and errant word of God. Now remember, we're, we're coming off the back of Psalms 119, right? 9, 10, and 11. How can a young man or a young woman cleanse their way? By taking heed to the word of God, right? Remember that. And he says, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not uh, uh, wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what do we want to do when the, when the target is the will of God? The target that we shoot at is the will of God, right? And sin is to fall short of the will of God. Well, every time we pull back the bow and shoot, we miss the will of God in our flesh. That's why we're supposed to be dead to ourselves. And then we begin to learn that, that Jesus... He hit the target every single time. He was sinless. And if we just believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, 
we shall be saved. So we get his perfect righteousness placed on our account. Now, positionally, we're perfect. But practically, we want to go on learning what is it that God requires of us? What is it that God's heart presents to us? And how do we obey that? And so we are looking to obey God. And we do it in the teaching, in the correcting, and learning what he says in his word. And we have all kinds of testimonies in the Old Testament of what to do, what not to do. They're examples uh, for us to follow. And, and it's important to note this, that while this is going on, the Bible would tell us that we're all underneath the sway of the wicked one. 1 John 5, 19. I know you are of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. And through sin and the sin nature, the devil has taken people captive. Look at it. It's chapter 2, uh, verse 26. Well, let's just read from 24 on. And a servant of the Lord, because I told you it was couched between the teachings. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. That means saved and unsaved. Able to teach. See, we all should be able to teach people or help them learn the Word of God. Well, how do you do that, Greg? Well, you have, you know, how do you help people learn that two and two is four? You learn it yourself. You learn to receive instruction and then you can give instruction. But you have to learn the instruction from the right place. See, if you're learning the instruction from the schools of higher learning that's underneath the sway of the wicked one, you might be helping deceive people. So you learn the word of God, which is the truth of God, and it's the only thing you can believe on the planet. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, God's not wrong. That's wrong. Whatever doesn't line up with the word of God. So he says, able to teach, and in humility, correcting those that are in opposition. So there are those who do not believe the word of God. They oppose the word of God, but we don't, we don't just grab them and shake them. We don't be mean to them. But in humility, because God has honored us and give us the privilege to know truth. So when they're in opposition with God's word, we humbly want to beseech them to hear the truth of God's word. And that's why we have to be able to proclaim the truth of God's word. And look what it says. If God perhaps, who? If God perhaps will grant them repentance. See, you've been given eyes to see, the Spirit of God convicts you of sin and righteousness of judgment, and God allowed you to repent of your sin nature and believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead so that you could be saved. Well, what do you do then? So that they may know the truth that's experientially and with your mind and with your actions, 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Remember, Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done to the Father. Well, people have been taken captive, and they're doing the will of the devil, and they don't even know it. But notice this, they come to their senses. Do you remember the prodigal son? He received in his inheritance, he went away to a far place, and he, and he spent it all on frugal living. And then he was out in the fields eating the pig food, eating trash. And the Bible said he come to his senses. 
What did he do? He said, I'll go back to my father's house and I'll just be a servant for my father. He came to his senses. See, the Holy Spirit brings you to your senses. And as you start to move toward the father, what does he do? Well, if you read the, the testimony of the prodigal son, the father ran to meet him. All you have to do is come to your senses and realize, I'm a sinner. I'm going to repent of this. And there's nothing I can do on my own. It takes God and his spirit and his word and the blood of his son, Jesus, which is the provision, the propitiation, the payment for my sin nature that sets me free from the snare, the stumbling block, the trap stick, the bait of Satan, and allows me to begin to run this race and live in a way that I can teach others about the truth of God's word. And so then he says, our chapter, our, what we want to look at, notice it gets to the Word of God, our chapter 3, 16, and 17. But in chapter 1, he says, Know this also, King James, but know this. Listen, listen, what did he say? So that they may know the truth, 2.25. But then he says, but know this also. Listen, you're not just learning the word of God so that you can walk around and smack people in the head with a Jesus stick. You're not learning the word of God so that you can just go to heaven. We've been given a commission to go and make disciples. Well, how's that happen, Greg? Well, you go and you teach them to obey all that God has commanded us. See, the call of the church and the ministry of reconciliation is sharing the word of God and teaching them to obey what God has says. Positionally, the blood does it all for us, but practically we have to hear it and teach people how to do it. So he says, know the truth so that they can be set free from the snare of the devil. And then remember, there's no verses and chapters in the original manuscripts. And he says, but also know this, know the truth, but know that you're being prepared for the last days. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Listen to me, guys and gals. Perilous times are here. Perilous times. The last days actually are every day since Jesus ascended. So the last days have been going on for over 2,000 years. But we are in the last milliseconds. We're in the last days of the last days. And perilous times are already here. Why? Because perilous means a reduction of strength. Listen, let me read it to you. It's through the idea of reducing strength. This word is used two times in the New Testament. Guess the other time is in Matthew 8, 28, when Jesus is dealing with the demoniac in the cave who has a, a, a legion of demons says that he was fierce. It's translated fierce then. So this could say, in the last days, fierce times will come. What's it going to be? It's going to be demonic times. Well, how do you deal with demonic things? You have to know that the Word of God is spiritual, that we're Christians, we're living a spiritual life, and that we've been given a spiritual sword, which is the Word of God. So you have to know how to appropriate and understand that the Christian life is a spiritual life. It has a spiritual sword, which is the word of God. And that we are told everything that God has done, everything that he's doing, and everything that he's going to do. 
And that gives us a position to stand and watch the salvation of the Lord. To stand still in safety. We don't have to fear what the devil is doing. Now, we might be apprehensive. We might go, oh, my goodness, look at this. We might say, ah, they're going to make us take a vaccine, which really isn't a vaccine. It's a gene therapy that they're experimenting on people, trying to change their DNA and their RNA, trying to put some type of, a, of an operating system in us to control us. Now, I realize that there'll be people that watch this teaching or listen to this teaching and they'll go, well, he's got an aluminum foil hat. Well, he's a real conspiracy theory guy. But the Bible teaches us and I want you to look here because we're looking at perilous times, a reduction in strength because we don't know the truth. Listen, know the truth and know this, that the word of God outlines what's going on. Look at Revelation 18, 23. Let's look at it again. I want to look at it a lot of times because it tells us the end of these things, which will happen during the tribulation time when the fall of Babylon is going on which is probably, I will say, just for the sake of saying, chapter 18 is about the fall of Babylon. I believe it is the uh, demonic uh, monetary system. It's the whole uh, government of, uh, uh, of what we see now that is falling, being destroyed. Uh, many believe that Babylon is even America, but I believe it's a spiritual Babylonian system uh, that, that is going to fall. And in 1823, again, it says, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Complete darkness. No church, no lamp, no light of the world. And the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus, listen, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride, the church, shall not be heard in you anymore. It's really the rapture of the church. It's taken out. It's already been gone. Time you get to chapter 18. Why? Why is it taken out? For your merchants were the great men of the earth. We've talked about this. What are they doing right now? Right now, the great men of the earth, those that are rich, those that are all over on Facebook and on Twitter, they're, they're the ones that are running things right now, running the government. Many names we don't even know. They're behind the scenes. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Listen to me closely. The word sorcery is the word pharmakeia or pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. Why is that important, Greg? Because the vaccine or the gene therapy, what they want to call a vaccine, is from pharmacy. Well, why are they calling it a vaccine if it's not a vaccine? Because there's a law that you can't sue big pharma, big pharmacaea, big sorcery for what happens with a vaccine. Because they've convinced the American public that all the vaccines for kids... And all the vaccines that they create are necessary to protect other people. And it's really sorcery. It's witchcraft. I don't care if you mix it in Eli Lilly or if you mix it in your bathtub. It's still sorcery. Now, I'm not saying every bit of medication is bad for you. But you need to be very careful 
when the great men of the earth who's just profiting off of this fear of COVID, listen, God's the great physician. He can take care of COVID. You are not going to die until God is finished with you. If you belong to God, I guarantee you, he's the giver of the breath of life. He's the one that takes life. He's the one that decides when everybody stops breathing and they go to be with him. You don't have to be rash and dive in front of a truck or jump off of a building or do something dumb. But you are indestructible until God is finished with you. That's why you want to draw near to him. You want to be close to him. You want to come to your senses by the word of God that's been sent to heal the land. He poured out his blood, the living word of God, poured out his blood to redeem us. And if he can redeem us from death, can he not save us from COVID? And if you're supposed to die of something that's a disease, God knows that already. It's not new to him. He's allowing it so you will cry out to him. We'll see it in a minute from Paul, how he endured. He went through everything perfectly, and God was with him in it all. But these, they, they, they do their sorcery. Listen to me. They're putting it in your food, the sorcery, the pharmacia. They're genetically modifying all the food. And then some people go, ah, listen, you can eat poison, God said. And it won't harm you if you pray over it. If you're living for Jesus, if you're, if you're in his will, doing what he's called you to do, instead of trying to do it yourself in some religious system, if you know the truth, you're okay. But they are deceiving the nations, all the nations. It's not just America. It's not just Israel. It's not just this little country over here. But it's the whole world that's being deceived with pharmacy. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. Everybody's supposed to die. These are earthly tents. They're made to wear out. This is not the permanent body you're going to be in for eternity. So don't panic if it gets sick. I know in our emotions and our feelings and we lose loved ones and we cry, but we don't weep and we don't mourn as the world does who has no hope. We know that the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air and thus will be with him always. And we're supposed to encourage one another with these words. We know the breath of life. We know the God and creator, the sustainer of life, who came to call us out. He's come to save us. And if we will rest our lives and surrender in him and find out what his will is for our life, find out what his truth is, then he warns us of everything that's going on. And he says here, know this. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. They are here. Well, why would they come? For men will be lovers of themselves. Self-love. You see that? Lovers of the... See, we're supposed to be... The church is supposed to be loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But even in the church, we're teaching self-love. Even in the church, we're teaching self-esteem. 
We're teaching to love yourself so you can learn how to love your neighbor. This is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The only good self is a dead self. Died as self. See, the world doesn't need more self-esteem. It doesn't need more people that love themselves. The problem is, is that's all we love is ourselves. If we don't learn to love Jesus, in our pride, we put ourselves first. That's what the devil did. In his pride, he stopped worshiping God, and he convinced the third of the angel to worship him. And that's what we want is our own little thrones. Men will be lovers of self. It's the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. Self-love. It's the only time it's in the entire Bible. Now, in the New King James, it says lovers of money. But in the real language, in the King James, it says covetousness. It doesn't say lovers of money. But that's what it means in the Greek. It means lovers of money. Well, what does lovers of self and those who are covetous look like? Well, they become boasters. They become proud. They become blasphemers. They become disobedient to their parents. Listen, when you love yourself, you're disobedient to any authority. And it begins in the home. When you love yourself, nobody can tell you the truth. Nobody can tell you to stop. You get mad when somebody tells you no because you love yourself. And, and the key gain of self is to make sure self is happy. But see, in the scriptures, in, in Christianity, our key calling is to worship God. To glorify God. That's what our man's all is. Is to come to salvation and glorify God. To have a love relationship with God. To worship him in spirit and truth. So what does the devil come? He wants you to worship him and live a lie. He wants you to worship him and follow a lie. He wants you to think you're okay, but follow a lie. Well, what does God do? He says, I love you. Here's my love letter. 66 books, all inspired by me. They're God-breathed and they're profitable. You get to profit for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why, Greg? So that you might be perfect, complete, thoroughly equipped. And don't forget that it's given to you. See, we get a, a son that's been given to us. His blood has been given to us. And then God gives you everything else. He gives you his spirit. He gives you an instruction manual. In fact, one of his name is Emmanuel. God with us. Here's an Emmanuel. 66 books that's a manual for life. People have played with this. Bible means basic instructions before leaving earth. That's fun to play with. But are you reading it? You know, are we reading it? Are we asking God to open it to us so that as the people of God, as the children of God, in the house of God, that has a position because the blood of God can begin to learn what the truth of God is and not follow a lie and be deceived. But look at this, because people who are covetous and love themselves they're boasters. Look what I did. Listen. Listen. I, from a young age, my grandbaby, people would go, oh, you're beautiful. And she'd, go, she'd look at him. I'd go, tell him, thank you. God is good. Because you didn't do anything to be beautiful. You were just born. But we are so proud and we boast and we think we've done something. 
And if we have anything, God gave it to us. He gave us the breath of life. He made us fearfully and wonderfully. See, we have to understand our entire mindset has to come from the scriptures, from the truth. But the world rushes in and says, oh, no, look what you've done. The world rushes in and goes, you're so great. You're so good. Oh, look how smart you are. And they rush in and they want us to take credit for what God has done in creating us fearfully and wonderfully. So it's very important that we're careful. See, I believe that children are born believing in God. Romans chapter 1 should prove this out. And then the world and parents and people who are not underneath the uh, lordship of God, they begin to suppress that truth by teaching earthly knowledge, earthly wisdom, sensual and demonic. And they teach them that they got to compete. And when they grow up, they got to be something. Listen. Whatever happened to just seeking the Lord and training our children in the way that they're supposed to go? That's what the Word of God does to you and me when we come to God as little children. It trains us in the way we're supposed to go. What way is that? Hear the voice of God and follow God. Be led by His Spirit and do the will of God. Not our will, but God's will. And the Scripture proves this out to us. But when we're full of ourselves, when we love self, when we're chasing money... We become proud. We become boastful. We blaspheme others. It means to rail on or talk bad about. And it doesn't even compare to blaspheming God. To talk bad about God, which is the cardinal sin, disobedient to parents. Anybody, it's rejecting authority. Listen to the list. That list is in Romans 1 also. Disobedient to parents because that is where the training to follow and listen to authority comes from. It's modeled out in a marriage where the husband is the head of the home and the wife submits to the husband as the husband loves. And then you see leadership modeled. You see submission modeled. Then the children should watch that and they see this modeled by the parents. And, and it leads into society. And then we, when the police officer says, stop. Let me see your ID. We don't ignore them and run from them when it's properly taught in the home. See, because here's the craziness. Everybody who pays taxes pays for those police officers to protect our streets, to protect us from the evil, to protect us from the criminal. And yet we are actually backing up these thugs that are running. We're making them heroes that run from the police, that kill the police. That we're taking our tax dollars and paying them to be trained to take care of us. That's demonic. That's earthly, sensual, and demonic wisdom. Do you think that, that what they're calling for in defunding the police, that they're going to bring a social worker out, and that guy is in the street with a 9 millimeter robbing somebody, and you're going to say, hang on a minute, I'm getting a social worker to talk to you about your behavior here because this is not conducive with society, and we don't think you should be able to do this, so we'd ask you to just stop for a minute with your 9 millimeter and don't shoot them until we get somebody out here to talk to you about your anger problem, sir. Guess what's going to happen? Yeah. Both of them going to get pistol with or shot. It's absolutely moronic, but it's demonic more than it's moronic. It just doesn't make sense. 
but we have hundreds and thousands of police officers retiring and leaving the force because even the general public is not supporting them. That everybody wants to say, yeah, the police are bad, ain't they? Had a guy tell me this morning, well, I've got some bad feelings about the police. I said, well, you ought to give them back to the devil. Because when you was breaking the law and the police arrested you, that was your fault, not the police's fault. That's what they're paid to do. But now you know what we're doing? We're making drugs legal. Oh, wait a minute. Drugs? Pharmacia? Oh, pharmacy becomes legal. It takes over. It's sorcery. It's witchcraft. It controls your society. You're allowing the devil to run everything, even in the church. And the churches ain't speaking up. You know, it's really sad shame that because of COVID, Christians are afraid to go back to church. Because of COVID, gamblers aren't afraid to go to the casino. Drunks aren't afraid to go to the bar. They're having concerts and everything else. Football games, everything's back in order. But the church who's supposed to have faith and believe in God won't go back to church. Because they're comfortable. They like watching on TV, if they're even doing that. Listen, my people perish for lack of knowledge. God is the great physician. There's nothing on this planet that's going to hurt you for eternity. Except deception. Except the liar. Except not believing in the blood of Jesus. And if you believe in the blood of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes in and teaches you the Word of God and gives you a desire to, to come and seek the pure milk of the Word. See, deception is eternal. COVID's temporal. Being poor, whether you're black, white, green, or blue, no matter what your color is, that's temporal. Your spirit is going to live somewhere for eternity. And if you allow the government, which is under the sway of the wicked one, so the devil is lying to you to get you chasing some other fight other than making sure you're not deceived, you need to learn the word of God. You need to draw near to God. You want to know what the voice of God is because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And he also says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So if you want to know if you're in the family of God, are you asking the Spirit of God to lead you? Do you have a relationship with the Spirit of God who washes and cleanses you with the Word of God? They're the one and the same God. The Spirit, the Word, and the Father are all the same God. It's the triune God. And we have to have a relationship with all three. Jesus came to bring us back to the Father. The Spirit is washing and cleaning us, preparing us to deliver us to the Father right after the wedding supper of the Lamb. When Jesus lays all power and authority back down at the feet of the Father. Redemption complete. Finished. Or at least that's the way I read my Bible. But right now we need to know this. The perilous times. Why? Because the church has walked away from the word of God. Why? Because of apostasy. Why? Because we're all chasing some other dream, some other ism, instead of pursuing a life of godliness with Jesus. Notice this. This is the church. I, listen, 
Paul is writing to Timothy about the church in the last days. That's going to be a perilous times. It, it means a reduction in strength, difficult times, dangerous times, furious times. Why? Fierce times. Why? Because we don't know the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the only thing that changes the morality of a planet. When we talk about there's going, like, listen here, in your family, in your house, dad's coming home soon. When mom, who is submitting to the head, tells the child who's misbehaving, dad's going to be home at three, and I'm going to tell dad. Then you know that there's somebody else coming that's going to spank your butt, that's going to correct you and chastise you to make your behavior better. Listen, when we tell this planet that Jesus is coming, that God's getting ready to take the church home. Don't listen to the liars of this planet. Listen to the word of God and fix your eyes on the spirit of God, the truth of God. Because somebody's coming that's going to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. Notice that's what he says in verse 4-1 of the same text. It's all one letter. They put the chapter numbers in. I think they put them in the wrong place sometimes. Look, he says, I charge you therefore, for one, before God. This is a charge before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. The quick and the dead is the King James. At his appearing and his kingdom. One day we're all going to be judged by whether we know and teach these things by whether we believe in the blood of Jesus and we believe enough to know that we don't have to be afraid of man. That's temporal. Manly fear is temporal. But godly fear is eternal. God can take the soul and cast it into hell. And he says that they're going to be, because of self-love, not godly love, which we're supposed to have, because of covetousness or love of money, they're going to be proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. You can trace a whole lot of damage on this planet from people not being thankful for the breath of life, thankful for what God has given them, unthankful. Listen, this is the church, unholy. Jesus said, be holy because I am holy, and yet the church is unholy. We're not Christ-like. We're not even trying to be. We're pursuing everything else. Listen, I know this is a hard letter. I didn't write it. I'm just talking about it. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm trying to learn how to do this too. Look here. Traitors. Traitors everywhere. Traitors for money. They've sold out to China, which is a godless society. Not the people, the government. Not the people, the government. Chinese people are not bad. It's the government, the ruling system behind it that comes from the devil. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Notice that. We want to chase pleasure. Listen, I'm telling you right now. In America, in the church, and in the world, but mainly I'm talking to the church. The church will get up and run off and go to Disney World, but they won't go to church. They, they, they're not scared of COVID when it's time to go out to a restaurant and eat a nice meal. But on Sunday morning, they don't want to go in case somebody might give them COVID. But they're doing everything else they want to do. 
We have people all over that say they believe in God. They've even got the vaccine or the gene therapy, and they're still afraid to go out of their house. They're believing the lies and the confusion because they won't learn the word of God that tells them what's going on. Deception is going on. The devil wants to control us with fear. Now listen, I can stop and go, listen, I'll make a disclaimer. I'll make an apology. I do know that people have died of what they called COVID. I do know that people are dying. But listen, people are dying every day. I'm not being mean. There's been people dying after they got shots too. There's people dying from everything. The death rate has not changed on the planet because so many people die every year. I am sorry that people have lost loved ones. My wife almost went to be with the Lord, and I believe it was because of COVID when she coded three times. But that doesn't make it the gospel truth. But God wasn't ready to take her home. But boy, he sure was ready to do ministry in the hospital. Listen, we love pleasure. We love Let's look what that word means. What's that word mean? Pleasure. Ooh. It means fond of pleasure, I think, the King James. Loving pleasure. Oh, what is pleasure? Listen to this. The gratification of the senses or mind. Agreeable sensations or emotions. See, it's not pleasure if we don't like it. But when it's agreeable to our emotions, agreeable to our body and our sensations and our mind, it becomes pleasure. But see, in godliness, suffering's going to happen. In godliness, death happens. In godliness, there's pain. God uses it. He allowed his own son, his only begotten son, to be beaten and scourged <coughs> and mocked and betrayed and to die on a cross to redeem us to life. I don't think there was pleasure in that. Although Jesus counted it joy because he knew on the other side of the grave he was going to redeem us back to him. So pleasure, that is, that's from the 1828 Noah Webster. We receive pleasure from indulgence of our appetites. Do you know that our true pleasure should come from worshiping God? Amen. In knowing that we are hearing the voice of God, doing the will of God, and obeying God because he gave his life for us and he first loved us. That's where our true pleasure should come from. We should be concerned about being pleasing to God. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For you first must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But the church loves pleasure rather than loving God. And here's what it says in verse 5, 3, 5, that we have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. And, and Paul says from such people, turn away, avoid them. Don't hang out with people and have fellowship with people and want to be like people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And it's having a form. Having is the word echo. You guys remember what that was in the Greek? Remember the girl that was following uh, in the book of Acts, following Paul and them, and she had a demon spirit and she was possessed? Possessed means is echo. 
she was ruled and possessed by a demon. And that's what it says, having a form. So we're, we're being possessed by a form of godliness, but we deny the power. We deny the ability of God, the wonderful work of God. That's what that means. We contradict it by our actions. Really, form is an amazing word. It's morphous. In, in Romans 12, 2, the word metamorphosis is used. This is just morphous form. But metamorphosis is transformed. And really, when you look at that, he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I love this, because Paul, never meeting the Romans, knew that there was a church there, and he was writing them, and he said, I urge you, therefore, brethren, considering the mercy of God, that you present your bodies, because God is sanctifying us spirit, soul, and bodies, a living sacrifice, holy because of our position, holy and acceptable to God because of the blood of Jesus. And then he says, and do not be conformed, conned into forming yourself like the old man, but be transformed. In other words, say no to the old man. Say no to the old nature, to the sin nature, and be transformed, metamorphosis, become the new creation. Why? So you may prove, become the evidence of the perfect will of God. See, it's the same word that's used in our text today. Fully equipped or furnished is the word evidenced. It's also used in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word evidence is the same word for uh, furnished in our text or equipped, fully furnished. Listen, listen, we want to surrender to God and say, you know what, God? I don't understand all of this, but your word tells me all of this and I'm going to be comfortable in serving you. I'm going to be comfortable in coming to you. I'm going to be comfortable in coming to the word, prayer, and fellowship and knowing that you've got this. That you've already died for me and given your blood for me and you saved my soul from death. How can COVID hurt me? How can the world hurt me? How can anything else in life hurt me when you've redeemed me and told me that I'm eternal now with you and your family? So now I just want to learn more about this God who gave me such great grace when I deserve to go to hell. So there's this form of godliness. But it denies or contradicts and rejects the ability of God to save our souls, to save our mind, will, and emotions, to save the rest of us and get us into heaven. And he says, verse 6 of chapter 3, For of this sort are those who creep into households. Notice that the creeps creep in to households. We're in God's house. Creeps creep in and make captives of gullible women or silly women, little women. Now, I think there's a type going on here. There's nothing wrong with women. Women are, are serving God. Women are children of God. Women believe in God. But I think the type is, is when we remain silly, when we remain gullible, that we can be taken captive by lies. When a creep creeps in and starts to talk really good, but what he does when a creep and a seducer comes in, he talks about fleshly things. 
He talks about how you can name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and how you can get stuff just by telling God to give it to you and how you can get rich by giving him money when really that's not the scriptures. So he takes captive of gullible women loaded down with sins. I don't know if you know about the church is the bride of Christ and, and, and we were loaded down with sins and we still disobey God. We still sin against God but we're learning to sin less as we obey God. Led away by various lusts or desires, actually probably the word will, led away by our own will, because all deception is self-deception, when we're lovers of self, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Listen, when you repent, it's so that you can come to know the truth. Isn't that verse 25 of chapter 2? Chapter 2, 25, so that they may know the truth. And yet we go to church, we go to church, we go to church, but we never learn to surrender to truth, to come into a love relation true with truth, to believe that Jesus gave his life so that we could go to heaven and be in his family. And we're supposed to learn this truth. We're not supposed to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that men make up, but come into a relationship. Know that right here in this book, right at the throne room in your prayer life, that you yourself can come to the throne room boldly and have a love relationship with God and know that you're going to be in heaven with him. You don't need to let somebody seduce you and lie to you to creep into your house, into your heart, and deceive you because of your own desires for sin. You need to repent and come to know the truth. And of course, there's people that have the gift of teaching that will help equip and lead us into that truth. But make sure that you're a Berean that tests the truth that you're learning. Test it by what, Greg? The Word of God. The example of God, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. This right here is the most important thing you're going to have. This Bible that tells you about the blood of Jesus, that tells you about a Savior that come from glory, come from heaven and died for you. This right here is the only book you need in life. Now, I know there's others that's going to say, oh, come on. Quit worshiping the word of God. Really? That's what people say about people like me. You're worshiping the word of God, that Bible you carry around. Of course I am. The living word, the written word. The, I become a living stone because of the living word of God. The living stone. This is everything about my language, about my kingdom, about my new citizenship, about my new life, about how I can walk in the freedom away from the power of sin. Why would I not? If I give you a treasure map and told you that that treasure map, at the end, you dig up where that X is at, there's going to be a pot of gold. I bet you would study it. I bet you would figure out where it was at. I bet you would get a shovel. I bet you would dig deep. I bet you would go after it because your flesh wants money. And that would be easy money if you just find where that X is at. This right here is profitable. Listen to me. This right here is the only thing 
that's going to help you get into heaven. It's going to help you deal with fears, with sickness, with pain, with suffering. It's going to give you an eternal perspective about who your father is and what he's done, what he's doing, how he sent his son to save us, and that the devil can't touch us if we'll surrender to this father who loves us with a never-ending love. Dig deep. Don't always be learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because you're lovers of yourself. Be dead to self. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Dead. It is... I no longer live. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we're supposed to be dead. In Colossians 3, it says that when Christ appears, our life will appear with him. We're not supposed to keep pursuing our own will. I'm trying to get to that. It's in verse 12. We'll get to it in a minute. Let's look at um, 8. We're supposed to come to the knowledge of the truth. Where's the truth at in this word? Verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate minds, disapprove, that's the reprobate, castaways concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. That's who's Janice and Jamboree's. Now tradition teaches us who Janice and Jamboree's was. It was the magicians, the sorcerers, those who made magic in Pharaoh's court when Moses came and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And he threw down his staff and it became a snake, probably more like an alligator. And then they threw down theirs and they became just like Moses's but guess what happened? Moses is ate theirs, devoured theirs, because they could do nothing. They resisted Moses, which means to stand against, to oppose, just like people do today. They resist, they stand against, they mock, they slander. Right now, that's a big deal that's going on out there. Those evangelical Christians are the ones that won't take the vaccine. And if everybody don't take the vaccine, the vaccine won't work in the other people. Really? Where'd you get that logic at? Where'd you get that logic at? And people are buying it up. Hook, line, and sinker because they have to make the church abhorrent to the rest of the public or they can't take this truth out of the public. They can't silence us unless they make us abhorrent. People that hate us. And they're really saying, hate God, kill God, get rid of God. Because they're afraid of COVID. And they created COVID in order to make people worldwide afraid. In order to bring in a one world government that could take care of everything and rule over them. The government of the Antichrist. We see it as you go through the Bible. You see it in little types where it happened in different places. The most recent one, not in the Bible, but in history, was when Hitler tried to take over in 1930s. That was the most recent one. 
but there wasn't worldwide fear. In fact, there was other countries because of God that were willing to come, and America led them and stopped the annihilation of God's people. But that was a small type of the actual end that we're seeing now, where the whole world is going to join together against God's people, against Israel, and against the church. And God laughs at them. God laughs at them because their plans will come to nothing. Because God's going to rapture his church out and then come and destroy him with the breath of his mouth. With the voice of his truth. So he tells us, 3, 1 through 9, that this is what's happened. That they're resisting God. They're resisting truth. It's death culture. But in 10, he says, but, there's a contrast that goes on. What's the difference? But you have carefully followed my doctrine. See, he's writing to encourage Timothy, who's a young man, young in the faith, but he's been left to be a pastor, and he's leading and teaching people and trying to encourage them to follow God, and he's becoming discouraged. And Paul says, but you follow my doctrine. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So, so here's all the ungodliness. Here's the perilous times. Here's those that are following lies, lies that they're castaways. They're resisting the truth. But Paul says, but you have carefully followed, been in the way with my teaching, my manner of life, how he acted, his purpose, his faith, his long suffering, his love. Look at this. This is what the Christian looks like. He's following doctrine. He's got a manner in his life that is godly. He has a purpose because he's following. How's he doing it? By faith. How, is it painful? He's long-suffering. He's being patient with people. He has love. Persevering, waiting for God to deal with other issues. But he's also got persecutions. Verse 11, see it? This is what's went on in Paul's life. Afflictions. He was beaten and left for dead in the ocean which happened to me in Antioch, which was Timothy's, no, Iconium and Lystra. Lystra was Timothy's hometown. And then he says, what persecutions I endured, he went through them. Listen, we think that we're not supposed to go through anything in America. This isn't godly. There's pain here. There's resistance here. They're making fun of me on the job. This isn't good. And out of them all. How much is all? Somebody get a calculator out. Figure out how much is all. Every bit. A-L-L. He's looking to God and he has been delivered out of all. You look to yourself. You look to the world. You look to themselves or to money and you will fall. You won't be delivered at all. But he was delivered out of them all. The Lord delivered him out of all. Really? Are you serious? I don't understand it. I thought he went through them. Listen to me. God delivers you through the trial. I know this might not sound good to you, but there's three kinds of Christians. Those going into a trial, those in the middle of a trial, and those coming out of a trial. See, all of this is for testing of our faith, for the growing of our faith. 
It's for sanctification so that we'll learn to trust God more. We'll learn to believe Him more. We'll learn to be more loving, more kind. We'll learn to have uh, more faith. We'll learn to persevere longer. We'll learn that afflictions and persecution and suffering are all part of life. As we look for God to deliver us. But He doesn't deliver us by taking us out of it and setting us on the sideline and going, No, don't touch my children. He wants us to know that it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to everybody, but we know the truth. We study the Word of God. We have a relationship with God. We know what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. He's getting ready to come and take the chosen home. Now, all the types through the Bible, He delivered them through. I believe because I'm a pre-tribulationist. I believe that I'm not appointed for the wrath of God. So I believe that God is going to take us out of this final deception. He's going to take us home. And then he's going to come back and judge the world for their complete deception and their complete rebellion against him following the synagogues of Satan. And then in verse 12, look what he says. Yes, He's affirming what he already said about his life. And all who will, King James. Notice here in the New King James, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. Listen, the word in the King James is all who will, not desire, all who will live godly. Does it say will to live godly? I don't have an amen over there. Huh? What does it say, Ray? Which verse 12, 312. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hear that? The word desire is not there. The word It's the word will. It means to choose or prefer, to delight in, that your intention of your heart is to live godly. In Christ Jesus. And he says, make no mistake, you will suffer persecution. They hated Jesus, they'll hate you. They persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute you. If you have the Spirit of God, listen, you'll desire the pure milk of the Word. If the Spirit of God is in you, you will live godly in Christ Jesus. You'll desire to do these things. The word will, is a, it's an amazing word. We keep putting it in. Listen to me. We keep putting it in the new translations as desire. Listen to me. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 39, not my will, not my desires, but thy will be done. See, that was his heart's intent. That was what he was doing. That's what he came to do. That's what every Christian is supposed to say. I'm not living for loving myself or loving money. I'm living to do the will of God. So not my will, not me, not myself, but thy will be done. And everyone who says that will suffer persecution. Everyone who wills to live godly will suffer persecution. But that's a true Christian. In fact, look at Matthew 16. Let's look at this. In a different light. Matthew 16, 
25. We'll probably look at Matthew 16, 25, and 26. And, uh, and our new scripture memory verse next week is going to tie into this. And i got to get this taken care of. It's almost 9 o'clock. My goodness. 1625, look at this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But it's really whoever wills. If your will and your self-will, you will and you continue to hang on to your life here, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, you lay it down, crucify with Christ. For my sake, you're going to find the true blessing in life. You're going to find the word of God, prayer and fellowship. You're going to find life and godliness. Oh, there'll be persecution, but there's great reward. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? See, if you continue to live according to your desire, according to your will, you're going to gain the world. You're going to covet and love yourself, but you're going to lose your own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Are you going to keep following the lie? Or do you want to ask God and say to him, Not my will, but thy will be done. Not my desire, but your desire. Okay, verse 13. Back in our text, 2 Timothy 3, 13. But evil men and imposters, King James, seducers, will grow worse and worse. Seducers is this. Listen, because it's the same thing as Janice and Jambres. It, it's, it's to wail. Or it's a wizard who casts spells, muttering spells. They're imposters. But listen, they used to do incantations by wailing and uh, howling. And they would do them with like a rope. They go, rah, rah, rah. and it would all feel like, I mean, it's really weird to wail like that. And it actually means a juggler or an encanter. They would howl. Wizards would make lots of noise and wail. And they were seducers. They're imposters. They're muttering spells. They're telling you how to live for God, but it doesn't line up with the Word of God. It doesn't give you a relationship with God. It deceives you and leads you away from the truth. And then you're always learning and able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So they're going to increase. They're going to get worse and worse. What do they do? They deceive. They're deceiving and being deceived. The word plano. Play, oh, wait a minute. It's Planeo. I always say Plano because it reminds me of Plano, Texas, where I say that we need to send some evangelists because people in Texas are living this way. But it's Planeo. And it means to properly cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. Now listen, what's that important for? The word salvation means safety. Deliverance back to the Father. But what happens with these seducers? They planeo us and they cause us to roam from our salvation. They cause us to roam from truth, which is what we need to come to the knowledge of in order to know that we're still following. And actually, planeo means to be out of the way. 
but the word following Christ means to be in the way with Christ. So I want you to understand that as we get to our finality of this text, they're getting worse and worse. You see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. The church has joined the devil. The church has joined the move. I just seen today, what was it? Um, oh my goodness, there's a pastor that's been chosen as the speaker in the church. What was it from? Something of Babel. His ministry to convince Christians to take the vaccine. See, I was in a ministry once, and I was on a board with a court and judges and stuff, and they were trying to convince me to get the churches to help people coming out of prison and to put them in places. And I said, you've got to be crazy. I ain't doing that. Christians don't do that. You don't take people that you don't know whether they're living for Jesus or not and put them into proximity with Christians who are gullible and don't know the truth. We want everybody that comes out of prison to come to salvation and live for God. But we don't want them to come out of prison and destroy other Christians. Yeah. We don't want them to come out of prison and take advantage of other Christians. And not everybody who claims the name of Christ is a Christian. You have to watch their manner of life. Look what Paul said in verse 10. You've carefully followed my doctrine, which came from the Bible. My manner of life, that's his action, his purpose, that souls would be saved. His faith, his long-suffering, his love. There is evidence of a transformed life. And if we don't have evidence of a transformed life, then we're probably not transformed. We're probably not saved. We're probably deceived by somebody that crept in and lied to us. Like Janice and Jam Jamborees. Like some wizard. We're probably being caused to roam from the safety that comes from the scriptures. Now watch this and we'll finish. Verse 14, but you, listen, he says all of this is going on in perilous times. All of this is going on, people. Reduction in strength in the church. We're afraid we listen to the world. All of it's going on, but you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for safety, wise for deliverance from the sin nature, wise for salvation, but it has to be through faith. You've got to trust it, which is in Christ Jesus. It's nowhere else. Notice the faith is placed in someone, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. He tells him to continue. The word continue means to abide, continue, remain. It's actually the word used for stand in Ephesians 6 in the spiritual warfare chapter. Listen, you remain. You know what you've learned. You know what the truth says. But you continue, abide, remain, and keep digging in this. You can't exhaust this. Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word, but you start with milk as a baby and you grow and you go and you teach others to obey all that I commanded you. And God promises, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, it makes you wise. It gives you wisdom. Sophia, the scriptures do for salvation. 
Then he comes to our text. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Listen, what does profitable mean? Helpful or serviceable, advantageous. Doesn't everybody want to be profitable? I start me a business and I want to lose money. I was living life and I want to be a loser. I don't ever want to get nothing right. No, we all want to be profitable. But you know, the Bible tells us in Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you shall be profitable. Then you shall be of good success. It's in the chapter where he tells him to be courageous through the battle and then meditate in this word if you want to be profitable. Because listen, you can be profitable with silver and gold and money down here and stuff, but what will man give in exchange for his soul? And you lose your very soul if you choose to do your will and not God's will for your life. But when you get in the word, it tells you God's will for your life. It tells you everything you need to know for your life. It changes your will and changes your desires. It, and it listen, it's profitable. It's advantageous. You get an advantage over others. Listen to me. People who have these all these letters behind their name and they think they're great scientists and they don't know God. Listen, you are wiser than they are because you know Jesus. You know the truth. And they're following a lie. You have a place in heaven in God's house. They are headed for hell if they don't repent. Listen, it's profitable for doctrine. Well, what is doctrine, Greg? Doctrine is instruction or teaching how to live a godly life. See, we come to safety. We come to salvation. And then doctrine of the Bible teaches us how to live right. And it's also profitable for or advantageous for reproof. Because listen, if you're doing something wrong, don't you want to know as soon as possible? So this reproves us. It actually tells us what we're doing wrong. It gives us conviction to wrong. When you look into the perfect law of liberty, it tells you the thoughts and intents of your heart. So it reproves you and it shows evidence that you're doing something wrong. There's going to be evidence of right, testing of right, and then evidence of wrong. And it leaves you there. And you go, oh, I'm so wrong, and God's going to kick me out of heaven. No. When you see wrong and you're convicted wrong, you confess it, and it corrects you. That's the next thing. It corrects you. It's profitable for, advantageous to, doctrine to teach me how. But when I'm not doing it, it reproves me. It chastises me, but then it corrects me. Don't do that, Greg. No, no, no. I'm not going to leave you there, Greg. Here's how you do it right. Correction. And that word was used in the Greek culture when a bust would fall over like a Caesar's bust and it was sitting there and, and they'd go correct that. So you'd stand it back up in the place it's supposed to be. You'd make it right again. And that's what God is doing. He's saying, Greg, that's not how we love people, but let me correct you and show you how to love people. Let me show you how to do it my way. The world says, oh, love them and let them stay in their sin. That's love. But God says, no, my way is that you instruct them of my way. And when they receive that conviction and repent, they come to the knowledge of the truth. 
And now my spirit comes in and seals them, and I don't let the creep get to them. And they learn to go through things, and they learn to grow and be like me, and they're truly my children. There's going to be evidence of that faith. So he says, correction. It means to restore to your proper condition. What was that condition? Listen, positionally, the blood of Jesus restores us to perfection. Practically, our mind, will, and emotions, our bodies are being restored to that perfect condition where we can walk with God daily without shame, without guilt. And we can learn not to follow our own will, but follow his. But you have to do it in the pages of Scripture. You're learning every day what you need to know. And you're learning to repent and learning that there's nothing good that dwells in us. So correction is reformation. Reforming you. Transforming you. Remember, remember uh, Romans 12.2? Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is reforming you into the person you were, the soul you were, the one who walked with God the way we were supposed to be before Adam and Eve disobeyed. And they conformed to the lies of the devil. What else, Greg? For instruction in righteousness. Training in right living before God. See, that's what righteousness is. Right before God. Christ gives us his righteousness. Well, what was it? It was his right standing. He did everything right before God. I always do the will of the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. See, that's the intent we're supposed to have if we truly come to salvation is to be pleasing to the Father. How do you do that? You learn to obey. You learn to, to, to have the instruction in righteousness. And it's just training. But listen, this is a beautiful word. Just as we're to train children in the way that they're supposed to go, and sometimes it includes discipline, the, the, the board of education to the seat of the pants, that's what God does. He's training us. He's instructing us in right living. And when we don't do it right, he doesn't just punch us in the face or hit us with a board or reach down with a ball bat. He goes, oh, I love you. Don't do that. That's not my way. Let me reprove you and convict you and then correct you and teach you how to right live before me so that you can be a witness and teach others to obey. And that's what he wants us to do together as the body of Christ. Why, Greg? That the man of God and the woman of God may be complete. Actually, the King James says perfect. Actually, the Bible says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. That's the intent. That's the, that's the bullseye that we're supposed to aim at is not to sin, but to be perfectly doing the will of God. And as we continue to confess it when we're not, he is completing us. He's making us more like him. And he's thoroughly equipping us or fully furnishing us our heart, our house, our hands, our words, our deeds to do what? All of his good work. Everything that he calls you to do, he will always furnish fully the power, the strength, the might, the resources, the ability Every time I get up to teach, I'm like, Lord, I need help here because I have no idea what people want to hear. I'm just going to read this and talk about it and tell them what you're telling me to say. So I need you to furnish me with that. 
But you know what? I get in here and read this. I study this. I dig deep into this. I say, Lord, what does this mean to me? How do I relate it to them? Because we're all doing this together. But I have to trust in him at the end of the day. And believe me, if you could see my knees wobble, if you would hear me on Sunday mornings when my wife is going, oh boy, here we go again. I'm like, honey, I don't know what to say. I don't understand the text. But by faith, I'll get in the pulpit and say, Lord, I trust you to furnish me. And I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to follow the word of God. And that's one moment for one moment, one day for one day. But you have to understand that the, the answer doesn't change. It's always the word of God. He sent the word of God to heal the land, to heal our hearts. It's never changed. This has been applicable since the garden all the way through till he comes to get us. It doesn't change. But you look at man's wisdom. It's changing every day. They're now telling us that there's more than male and female. There's all kinds of genders. That's a lie against God's word. Their word changes. They're saying follow the science, but their science changes. It's like shifting sand. God's science hasn't changed one bit since, since the beginning. In the beginning, God created male and female. In the beginning, God created man. In the beginning, it's always the same. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his target. He doesn't change his salvation. He doesn't change his requirements. And he took it all on himself. And he says, if you'll believe that, I'll give you the power to follow that. But you have to draw near. You have to believe it. But the world wants us to believe that they're smarter than our God. That doesn't make any sense. Because the church is following the seducers and the deceivers and the liars. And they're chasing fun and pleasure instead of loving God. Listen to me. Listen to me. You'll never receive more pleasure and more joy than when you're doing what God has designed you to do. The friction and all the pain and the worry and the wonder come from doing your will and what you want to do instead of perfectly following what God wants to do. Listen, when you're doing the will of God, you're, he's going to give you all the resources of heaven to do what he's called you to do. When you're doing your will, he's going to say, oh, I love you so much, but I can't bless that. I can't help you with that. That's your doing. Jesus was able to go to the cross and let him nail him to a tree after beating him and die because he listened to the will of God. He obeyed the word of God. And he knew that he could trust God raising from the dead it's amazing and if you don't trust him listen that trust that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God it's the same medicine you need it's the balm of Gilead that when you get in it I don't trust this word I don't know if this is really God's word as you read it it will grow you up in the faith you'll see it consistently fit together You'll see that all the doctrines and the reproof and the instruction and the teaching all work in your life 
even when you don't obey it perfectly. Next week's scripture, Luke 9.23. And Jesus said to them, anyone who desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23. That's next week. Luke 9.23. And hopefully we'll get back into 2 Kings. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.